Lord, we come before you in humility. We come before you with open hearts. And we ask that you would speak to us and instruct us by your word. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we've been painfully reminded of the horrors of war. And we've been praying for this war to come to an end, as we should. And as we do so, many of us quite naturally think of war as something out there. It has an impact on us, it has an impact on our cost of living and hence our way of life. But we really don't see ourselves at war. War, for most of us, feels very distant and we don't see it as our reality. But then we come to Ephesians 6 and we have Paul telling us that we are, in fact, at war. He wants us to understand that the Christian life is not a playground, but rather a battleground. There is an enemy. He is Satan, the devil, the evil one. And we are at war with him and his demonic army. Now consider these words from C.S. Lewis regarding how we should deal with this very tricky subject of demons. And he writes, well, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devils themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, that is, a person who rejects the supernatural, or a magician with the same delight. And so here we have to tread carefully and find that balance. We don't want to develop an unhealthy interest in demons or demonology, but it's also important for us to recognize that they do exist and we want to understand how they operate. In war, we have to know our enemy. If we don't know our enemy, we won't be able to fight effectively. So how are we to fight? Our text makes it very clear from the start that we are to trust in God and not in ourselves. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Trusting in ourselves would mean certain defeat. Trusting in God, on the other hand, would bring victory. And we need to understand that we are not called to fight for victory, but rather from victory. We are not fighting for victory, but from victory, because Christ has already won the victory by His resurrection from the dead. He is victorious, and He has called us to share in His victory. And that might prompt the question, well, since the victory has already been won, then why are we still at war? You'll find that in military battles, one seldom destroys all the opposing troops at once. After dealing the decisive blow to the enemy, many of its soldiers will continue fighting, either out of ignorance, sometimes they simply don't know that they've been defeated, or because they want to make life as difficult as possible for their foes before they're eventually wiped out. And our present battle against the devil and his army can be considered as the mopping up phase of war. The victory has been decisively won, praise be to God, but fighting will continue for some time before the war is truly over. Satan's imminent defeat, final and complete, is described in the book of Revelation. But until then, we find ourselves continually in skirmishes with him and with his troops. Another question that might pop up in our minds is, well, if that's the case, why doesn't God just 
bring everything to an end right now, wouldn't that be so much easier for all of us? Well, one major reason for that is God is tarrying. And that means that He's mercifully waiting for more to come to faith in Christ so that they may be saved from sin and death. God mercifully waits so that more may be saved. And this must impress upon us the urgency of gospel proclamation because the time is short. The urgency of mission and evangelism. And I think it's apt for me to remind us that next Saturday we have a missions gathering. I want to urge you to come. Come and learn more about our call to missions. Come and learn more about the opportunities that are available to us. Now, as we give ourselves to gospel ministry, as we commit ourselves to gospel ministry, we can be sure that the devil will do everything he can to hinder and oppose us. He doesn't want us to succeed. He doesn't want us to be fruitful. Satan will oppose us as we seek to walk in obedience to God's will in every area of our lives. And since this is something that we should do every day, every day we should be choosing to walk in obedience to God's will, then opposition will come every day. As disciples of Christ, we should expect to be at war daily. Hence, William Gurnall, the Puritan minister who wrote a book called The Christian in Complete Armour, tells us that in heaven we shall appear not in armour, but in robes of glory. But here, here on earth, the pieces of armour are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. And so we must put on the armour of God so that we can take our stand against assaults from the devil and his army. Paul tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We fight not against human beings, but against spiritual powers. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. Our battles take place in the spiritual realm, in the invisible realm. But what happens in the spiritual realm has a tangible effect on earthly situations. What happens in the spiritual realm has a tangible effect on earthly situations. Think for a moment about the context of Paul's letter. He's been urging the Ephesian Christians to live in unity, to grow in maturity. He's been calling them to walk in the light and to walk in love. And he has just elaborated on what this should look like in their relationships with one another as members of one body. And he addresses wives and husbands, children and parents, servants and masters. And they will find this difficult, of course. They will face challenges and struggles in trying to live together in harmony and love. And in their clashes with one another, Paul reminds them not to see each other as the enemy because they fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. The root of the problem is often spiritual. And that's such a good reminder for us when it comes to our own disagreements within this body, that we are not to see each other as the enemy, but to remember that we war against spiritual powers. In the midst of difficult situations, the mature Christian and the mature church will perceive what is taking place in the spiritual realm. 
during my preparation for this sermon, there were countless instances of distraction and frustration, and some were really very challenging moments. And I found myself needing to step back and really cry out to God and just pray that He would step into that situation, that He would calm my heart before things boiled over. And it was a reminder of how it's easy for us to be drawn into warfare. And we are called to focus on God and to spend time in prayer. And taking that kind of posture of active and alert reliance on God is, well, putting on our armour. This posture of alert and active reliance on God is like putting on our spiritual armour. And some scholars think that Paul was inspired to use this imagery because he was, at that point, under arrest. He was guarded by soldiers who would be wearing their armour, and that might have inspired him to think about how we, as Christians, are called to put on our armour in order to fight our battles. Now, Paul could also have had in mind these verses from Isaiah 59. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede, that his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And he, God, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And possibly with this in mind, Paul urges us, the people of God, to put on, to take up the armour of God. Not only that, but the whole armour of God, and he repeats that. And it's to stress that each component of the armour is integral to our battle. And so let's look briefly at each component of the armour, and here I'll be drawing from John Stott's commentary on the book of Ephesians. Paul tells us to fasten on the belt of truth. And some translations would read, gird your loins with truth. And it's a very ancient expression, not something that might be so familiar to us because we don't dress ourselves like this anymore. But to gird your loins is to prepare for action. And that's what it means. And so we are to prepare for action, doing this with truth and in truth. We do this on the basis of truth and in accordance with truth. And so what is this truth? Well, first and foremost, it can be understood as God's truth. God's truth that He has revealed to us in Christ and also in His Word. God's truth. We are equipped and we are ready with God's truth. This can also be understood as truthfulness, truthfulness in our character and in our conduct, that we are answering this call to honesty and integrity. Many of us would remember that in chapter 4, Paul was telling the Ephesian Christians to put away falsehood and to speak the truth to each other. Truthfulness. We are to put on the belt of truth. Next, we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And of course, the breastplate is used for protection. And what is it that gives us protection? It is the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us through His death and resurrection. Jesus has made His righteousness ours as a gift of grace. Now the name Satan, that word comes from Hebrew and it means adversary or accuser. And so Satan continually seeks to accuse us. But Christ is our advocate. Christ is our defender. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Him. Romans 8 and verse 1. Now again, righteousness can be understood also as what we have in terms of our character and our conduct. That the body of Christ is called to be above reproach and we are to cultivate 
righteousness, moral righteousness, in order that we may resist the devil's temptations. Third, Paul tells us to wear as our shoes or our boots the steadfastness or readiness of the gospel of peace. Shoes equip soldiers for long marches and gives them steady footing. And so one interpretation of this is that the gospel gives us steadfastness. Because of the gospel, we have solid footing and God will not allow our foot to slip. Psalm 1 to 1 verse 3. But we can also understand this in a different way, and that is that we are equipped with readiness to go forth proclaiming the gospel, the gospel of peace and reconciliation with God, equipped to go forth for gospel proclamation. And you find elsewhere in Scripture that there is this connection between feet and proclamation because our feet bring us to the place where we are able to proclaim the good news. And so we would find in Isaiah 52 and verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Go forth preaching the good news. Fourth, we are to take up the shield of faith. And this is our faith in God and our trust in him our trust in His power and might, in His protection and deliverance, in His presence and leading. And we use this shield to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And these are Satan's accusations. These are his attempts to sow in our minds thoughts of doubt or disobedience, patterns of thought that will lead us away from the will of God. Fifth, we have the helmet of salvation. And a blow or shot to the head is very often fatal. And so this is a critical piece of protective gear. And our protection comes again from Jesus' work on the cross. We have been saved and we are kept safe by God through what Jesus has done for us. We have been saved from sin and death, from eternal condemnation and punishment. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8, we are told to put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. And lastly, we have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And swords, of course, are used for both attacking and defending. And we might recall that Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, refuted him using Scripture. Revelation 19, we read that from Jesus' mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And it's a description of the authority and the power of the Word of God. And we must be equipped, equipped with a deep knowledge of the Scriptures in order that we can wield it effectively in battle for resisting temptation, for evangelism, for discipleship, for every aspect of Christian living. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17 tell us that all Scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we must immerse ourselves in the Word of God 
so that we can be equipped to fight our spiritual battles. So these are the components of the armour of God. It's truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. These are spiritual resources. These are spiritual equipment. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not human. They're not earthly. But they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And these are spiritual weapons. They have a divine origin and they bring with them divine power. And these weapons have been entrusted to you and to me, to us, so that we can fight effectively. And this is not something that we should take lightly. Not at all. As I was preparing this message, the burden I had was that we, I fear that we would approach this as just a way to gain intellectual understanding of a part of the Bible. That is almost like we are studying for an exam and we want to be able to answer the question if we were in a Bible quiz, what are the components of the armour of God? And some of us may have actually have answered that in a Bible quiz when we were younger. And it seems so easy for us to think, okay, we just need to know the six answers. It's, well, honestly, it's very Singaporean. Sometimes we teach Christian education uh, courses and the blanks, right? If you have attended my courses, you realize I seldom give blanks, but I know some of my fellow instructors like to. And for some of the participants, you can see the thing that's the most important to them is they want to know what's the word that goes into the blank. Everything else is okay if they don't hear it, but they're like, I missed it, I missed it. What was the third end? And maybe sometimes we think about a text like this as just studying. I need to fill in the blanks. What are the six components? I want to know the answer. But God wants us to engage with His Word in a much deeper way, in a much more life-transforming way. It's not just to answer a quiz question. Engaging with a passage like this is to transform our worldview, and that's how we make sense of all of reality. Remember I said that for most of us, we think of war as something out there. We don't see ourselves at war at all. And this has to challenge that understanding of our reality, how we understand the world and our values and our beliefs. This has to change how we look at earthly and human situations, that we can do so with divine wisdom and discernment, that we will learn to press in to see what's happening in the spiritual realm beyond what is seen, and we will learn to see as God himself sees. This must redefine our, our values and our priorities because we are to look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient and temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so understanding spiritual warfare, understanding our call to put on the armour of God must change how we live. It must change what we do. And in some way, to some degree, it must change who we are that we understand our identity in a totally different way. Some of us might be thinking, um, well, can, can I just opt out of this war? Is this voluntary service? Can I just go on with my own life and have everything peaceful and quiet? Well, if we chose to do that, then we would have fallen prey to the schemes of the devil because he's very happy for us to think that we can Simply ignore him and get on with our business. And the truth is that we are in this war whether or not we behave as if it's ongoing. And I was reminded of some, how some young children play hide and seek and when they're hiding, they just do this. And they think if they can't see you, then you probably can't see them. 
And maybe some of us approach spiritual warfare like this. We think that if we pay no attention to the devils, they would hopefully pay no attention to us. And I can assure you that's not how they operate. Or imagine soldiers enlisted and going to war and then deciding along the way that they're just going to lay aside their gear. They're going to do their own thing. They're going to go for a walk or have a picnic in the lovely jungle. It's unthinkable. And hence, again, as what William Gurnall teaches us, we have to walk, we have to work, we have to sleep in the armour of God. The kind of vigilance is necessary in order to be true soldiers of Christ. It's not optional. It's not. Our text ends very aptly with a call to prayer. This prayer is absolutely critical in this war. We are not to equip ourselves and then try to go forth in our own strength, no. Rather, we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His mind. And prayer is the means by which we rely on God and draw strength from Him. You know that prayer isn't listed strictly as a component of the armour, but it holds the armour together and it keeps it working. And so the wisdom of William Gurnall, again, he tells us that the Christian's armour will rust except it be furbished with the oil of prayer. Andrew Murray, one of the classic writers who wrote extensively on the subject of prayer, said that, well, many Christians backslide. They are unable to stand against the temptations of the world or of their old nature. They strive to do their best to fight against sin and to serve God, but they have no strength. They have never really grasped the secret. The Lord Jesus will every day from heaven continue His work in me, but on one condition. The soul must give Him time each day to impart His love and His grace. Time alone with the Lord Jesus each day is the indispensable condition of growth and power. Perhaps for many of us here, myself included, the struggle to stand against the temptations of the world, of our old nature, is very familiar. Perhaps we are striving to overcome and we find ourselves lacking strength. And let's consider these words from Murray to tell us to give time to the Lord each day to impart to us His love and His grace. This focus on prayer doesn't mean that our work becomes unnecessary, far from it. Because work and prayer go together in spiritual battles. And in Exodus 17, we find this really fascinating account of one of Israel's victories. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. 
work and prayer. Together bringing victory. I think we would be willing to admit that we tend to focus far too much on our work, what we are able to do with our own hands. And that work is necessary, absolutely. But it's not enough. It can't bring us spiritual victory because only God can do that. And so let us work diligently. But let us also pray. Let us increase the fervency of our prayers, both personal and corporate. Let us seek the Lord's face daily and come together regularly to pray as one body. What battles are you fighting today? For some of us, perhaps our first response is, I'm not fighting a battle. Everything in life is good. And if that's you, let me suggest that then you are not living boldly enough and that you aren't pursuing God's will for your life. Because if you're seeking to obey the will of God, I can assure you that opposition will come. You will not be spared. For some of us, perhaps our understanding of the practice of our Christian faith uh, is pretty much covered by attending a worship service once a week. And it's possible for us to be quite comfortable doing that. It really doesn't take a lot of our time. It doesn't inconvenience us significantly. And outside of the service, we just get on with our own business. As though our lives belonged to us. And I pray that you would know that God's desire for you extends far beyond that. That he calls us to the path, the costly path of discipleship. And on that path, there are battles to be fought. And we will not be spared. For many of us, perhaps most of us, we can immediately think of battles that we are facing. And perhaps you come to church with a smile on your face and people ask how are things and you feel obligated to say everything's okay. I guess one of the good things about having a face like mine is people always assume that everything's not okay. Even when I'm really sometimes quite okay inside, but people have the idea that my life is a wreck. But I think we need to be honest with one another that there are a lot of things in life that are not okay. And we are struggling, and if we are faithful to God and faithful to His call, then yes, things should not be okay because opposition will come. The teaching that you would find in some churches that if you love God and you give faithfully to Him, He will make everything in your life smooth. You can't find that. As a testimony of Scripture, you don't see that in the lives of the giants of faith that have been given to us as examples for us to follow. And the truth is that many of us struggle. I struggle. But let's consider today what does 
this truth that we war not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not just physical and earthly, but it's spiritual. How does this challenge our perspective and change our perspective of these battles that we find ourselves in? And would we then trust a bit less in the work of our hands and instead cry out to God and pray for a breakthrough? It may take time, but a breakthrough will come. So let us be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Let us put on the whole armour of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.